Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to everyone listening, and welcome to Season 1, Episode 2 of the Well-Read Podcast. I am your host, Megan Bierke, aka The Real Bookish Writer. I am a reader, writer, bookseller, book festival goer, and I am and always have been obsessed with genre fiction. While you're here, there will be two segments, a short one where I review the books I've read for the past week, and then a longer one which will consist of a one-on-one author interview. I've read some amazing books this week and have an incredible guest lined up, so I can't wait to share it with you. Without further ado, let's jump right in. I am actually quite blown away by the books I read this week because I can honestly say that I loved all of them. The first was The Roughest Draft, an adult romance by real-life husband and wife co-writing duo Emily Wibberly and Austin Sigmund Broca. The two main characters were once bright literary stars who co-wrote a best-selling novel, but on the heels of their greatest success, they ended their partnership on bad terms for reasons neither want to discuss. Facing crossroads in both their lives, the two are contracted for one last book and are forced to reunite. Now, I've been a fan of these two for about a year now, but I can unabashedly say that I really enjoyed this book. The chemistry of the two main characters was incredible, and the way Wibberly and Sigmund Broca managed to write such two distinct characters that you're rooting for the whole time is unparalleled. They managed to create a story that was sentimental, heartfelt, and wonderfully angsty. Many authors would struggle with a dual point of view and dual timeline story, but these two continue to impress me. The second book I finished was Bride by Allie Hazelwood, her first romanticy novel which will be released on February 6th, 2024. In this paranormal romance, a dangerous alliance between a vampire bride and an alpha werewolf transforms into something more than just a marriage of convenience, where both have ample reasons not to trust or love each other. And hot damn, this book, I swear. I'm personally a huge fan of Hazelwood's writing and her other books, so I don't know why I expected a new kind of romance novel by her to be anything but fantastic, but this book honestly was. It was sexy, interesting, and had me hooked from the very beginning. It has vampires versus wares versus humans, an arranged marriage of convenience, found family, faded mates, everything I wanted in a spicy romanticy and more. I would love to see another romance in this universe, and while I don't know if that's going to happen, I do think Hazelwood needs to write as much romanticy as she possibly can. The last book I read was the second book in the adult romance Wilmot Sister series by Chloe Leese, Better Hate Than Never, which is out October 10th, 2023. This is a heartfelt reimagining of Shakespeare's The Taming of the Shrew, mashed with all the things I loved from the movie 10 Things I Hate About You, where childhood enemies discover the fine line between love and loathing. (sighs) And this book... This book has a serious hold on me. As I do more research into ADHD and women, the more I'm convinced I have it. And there were so many moments in this book with the main character, Katarina, where I teared up because what was written is the most accurate description of things I've struggled with my whole life. And I honestly don't know if I've ever felt so seen or had my feelings so validated. Ever. The writing was beautiful and the relationship between Kat and Christopher was so raw and accepting. And after the initial enemies part, the communication between the two was freaking phenomenal. This book also just has a lot of really wonderful representation as Christopher suffers from chronic migraines and Kat is neurodivergent, demisexual, and has ADHD. This book is funny, spicy, and so wonderfully written. I highly, highly recommend pre-ordering it or buying it when it releases next month. Well, that's it for this week's reviews, so let's dive into our author interview. I am very honored to introduce our guest today, as her books hold a very special place in my heart. She is the best-selling author of five young adult fantasy books, 
The Crown of Coral and Pearl Duology, Luminous, The Poison Season, and A Multitude of Dreams, which was just released on August 29th and was chosen as the Barnes & Noble YA Book Club pick for September. A triplet born on Leap Day, she has lived all over the world with her diplomat husband and two sons, and her favorite days involve books, tea, and Mishka, her small red muppet often mistaken for a dog. Please welcome one of my absolute favorite authors, Mara Rutherford. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. This is exciting. I'm very excited uh, to have you. I've loved your books for years, like I kind of said. Crown of Coral and Pearl was one of the first books I read after a really bad car accident. I was kind of in a depression. And so your books, they helped kind of pull me out of that. They helped me escape. They helped me kind of deal with the issues I was having. So they're, they hold a very special place in my heart. So I'm very excited for you to be here. So you were one of the first people that popped into my mind uh, when I knew and decided I was definitely going to do this. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here. So congratulations on your fifth release. It just happened. Has it sunk in yet that you've not only published not one, not two, not three, not four, but five books now? Has it sunk in yet? You know, sometimes it feels like I've been doing this for so long, but it's like, it. yes, <laughs> it feels like it's <laughs> out by this point. Um, and other times I think about Mara just four years ago when Crown first came out and how you know, I never would have believed that I would have five books out by now. So it's a mixture. Because you were a journalist before. How did you know you wanted to move into actually writing? Well, I think I always wanted to write fiction, but I did not think that I was cut out for it. I did not think I was creative enough or um, that it was even really like an actual career possibility. Mm -hmm. So I just knew I wanted to do something with writing and with books or publishing. So anything that was sort of writing adjacent um, and journalism felt like a, a real career possibility. But as soon as I did it, I realized that it was quite boring for me. <laughs> <laughs> Not for you. No, I, I had an internship at a small town newspaper in Pennsylvania and the editor sent me on my first assignment with no real like instruction. It was like, just, there was some kind of a protest or something happening in this town and she told me to go cover it and I came back and wrote my little article and I had editorialized everything and she <laughs> went through with her red pen and was like no just the facts just the facts just the facts and I was like oh maybe I don't want to do this after all it's kind of boring so <laughs> well I'm personally very glad you left journalism and as I'm sure a lot of people are <laughs> how has your how has your journey been as a writer because when you first start, you're obviously, you're not on deadline. You know, you have to write your first draft. Um, you have time. How has that changed from writing your first book to now where you're on a deadline, where you have these publishing contracts and things that you have to meet? How has that, how has it changed? You know, for me, when I first started, there was no sense of like, oh, this is actually going to be a job or I could get paid for this. Um, but as soon as I did start writing and realized how much I loved it and wanted it to be a profession, then it felt like pressure was on. And that was personally applied pressure. I was 24 when I wrote my first book. I'm 43 now. So it's been oh, wow. time. And my I first I was like, I want to be published by the time I'm 30. So I was already trying to like, you know, I, I wrote a book 
the first one I really didn't do much with, but then after that, I wrote a couple more. I started querying. I worked for a literary agent. I was trying to learn as much as I could about publishing and writing and how I could actually get there. And I worked for a book distributor and I um, managed author signings at Costco's. So I was asking authors like, yeah, you have any advice for me? I really started pursuing it seriously once I realized how much I loved it. In a way, I hadn't really loved anything else I'd, I'd done for work. And then 30 came and went. And then I still felt this like pressure of an imaginary clock. I, I still do in a lot of ways. So it actually got easier for me once I did sell a book because then it was like, okay, it's no more wondering like, am I doing all this for nothing? Like, at least I know that it's actually going to be published now. Yeah. So now when I write a book, I mean, look, I wrote a fantasy last year that went on sub earlier this year and has not sold. It's not like everything I write forever and always is going to get published, but it feels like a reality now, not just this dream that I was constantly chasing. So it's actually, I prefer to have deadlines. I work better when I have something to focus on. Otherwise it all just feels like, kind of is there is there a point to this you know for me it was always it wasn't just writing for fun I wanted to be published so that was always my ultimate goal so to those of us including myself who yeah. eventually want to be an author do you have any advice for them especially just starting out yeah I mean this was something I told myself when those very early rejections started rolling in which was just to keep moving forward that like that was the only way it was going to happen. If I stopped, then, then I had failed. But as long as I wasn't quitting, I wasn't failing. And so it's still what I tell myself now. I had this weird period this year where, you know, that book that was on sub hadn't sold. I didn't know if my publisher was going to buy any more books from me. I really didn't know what was next on the horizon. And all I can do, the only thing you can ever control as a writer is the work. So I wrote something else. And fortunately... People, people like that one. And so they're both, <laughs> that's very exciting and a huge relief. But, you know, I wrote, you know, my Crown of Pearl and Pearl was my ninth completed manuscript. So that's all I can say is that if, you know, if the first thing doesn't work out, oh, well, you wrote a book, you've, you've, you've learned that you yeah. can do, it. and maybe someday you'll be able to go back to that one, but maybe it's just not the right timing for that. Maybe you still have things you need to learn. I just really feel like that's all you can do is keep working on the next thing. That's, that's all you can control. So. I like that. That's good advice. Just as long as you don't stop, then you don't fail. I like that. And so, there was an interview that I read with editor um, before I had sold my first book where she said, follow your compass, not your clock, which is also advice that I really take to heart. But I had to stop thinking about it as, oh, if I'm not published by the time I'm 30 or 40 or whatever age that I'm a failure, that like the goal stayed the same regardless of the amount of time it took. And that kind of helped me take some of the pressure off myself for trying to, you know, you look around and you see debut authors who are 17, 18, 19 years old. And as time's going by, it can make you feel like, what am I doing wrong? How do they know so much more than I do? And they're half my age. It can be really daunting. And um, so, yeah, just to kind of keep your focus on the end goal, keep your eyes on your own paper, which is a lot easier said than done, but <laughs> try not to compare yourself to the gorgeous 18 year old with, you know, three degrees who just wrote, you know, a book that sold for seven figures. <laughs> 
for every one of those there are a million normal people just trying to get by I like that and I appreciate that you just said that crown of coral and a pearl was your ninth manuscript correct so you've had nine before that you've had others being published how do you come up with your ideas do you say okay I want to write something about this genre or this trope and then you work from there are you just out in the world and something pops in your head and you're like oh hey I could possibly write a book about that how does what's your process how do you come up with these ideas so before I wrote fantasy which was my first I don't know well the very first thing I wrote was this middle grade fantasy and I had no business writing and I did not know what I was doing (laughs) Um, after that I wrote women's fiction for a few books and then I was writing YA contemporary and then I wrote sort of uh, my 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 pitch horse book in 2014, which was the book that got me my agent, but was not the book I sold. So manuscript number eight was the first, well, I guess it maybe it was the second fantasy I'd written and it was uh, an urban fantasy. It was not full on fantasy. Crown was the first fantasy that I wrote. And once I started doing that, I haven't really looked back. So pretty much all my ideas now are fantasy. And usually they just come from, yeah, they really do just sort of pop in from things that are going on around me. So I I like to just sort of keep my brain open for those sorts of things. I'll read scientific articles or I'll, you know, listening to music or watching a, a show or a movie, little, little kernels of things will come to me. And then usually I was just talking about this um, with Lainey Taylor and her Patreon um I need like a second idea and she she was saying something similar where it's sort of the meeting of two different ideas that that give you your your story um so for the poison season the one the first little kernel for me was this YouTube video about this poisonous lake in Russia that my kids were watching and the second little kernel was a um New York Times article about this Estonian island of women and some quotes from the article that just were kind of dark, even though it was a very positive article. Yeah. It was combining those two things that gave me the idea for the poison season. I like that it's not just one kind of kernel, but it's two, and then somehow they meet together. That's really yes. interesting. I haven't heard that before. I like that. Yeah. So I have to ask, because A Multitude of Dreams was just released, what were the two kind of kernels that popped into your head for Multitude? So this one was slightly different in that I knew I wanted to do a retelling. And so I was kind of deliberately looking for stories that I hadn't seen retellings of. And Mask of the Red Death is just one of my favorite short stories. So as I was reading it, I got the idea for this. I can't remember where the idea of a girl pretending to be a princess, where that came from. but there's a lot of imagery in the story itself. There's the great ebony clock, there's um, the masquerade ball. So it was things like that coming together. And then I knew I wanted someone who was trapped inside this castle uh, with the king and all the the nobility living a great life while everything was going terribly wrong outside of the castle. And then an outsider who was seeing things from a completely different perspective and how those two would combine. So yeah, so because I knew this was going to be a retelling, the approach was, I guess, slightly different, but there was probably some other little thing that floated in. That, I can't <laughs> that just randomly popped up and you're like, oh, hey, that could work. Yes. I, like I mean, that. I started writing this book in 2017. So it's been a minute <laughs> from when That's- I got the idea to now. Yeah. 
it's been a work in progress. Well, I'm, the book is amazing. Um, I'm on your street team. And so I was able to get an advanced copy and I read it and I won't shut up about it. It's fantastic. <laughs> and I've really been into like the Gothic kind of YA fantasies lately. And so this book just ticked all the boxes for me. Your first two books were a duology. And then yes. all the other ones since then have been standalones. Is there a specific reason for that? Did it just happen that way? Do you plan to write a series in the future or do you kind of like working on standalones? So uh, Crown of Crawl and Pearl was actually sold as a standalone, although in my head it had always been a duology and that I always kind of knew what the second book would be about if I sold the first book. A lot of advice you'll see for authors is for your debut, write a standalone because publishers might not want to take a chance on two books from an unknown author. And, you know, you can leave that open maybe and discuss it if you sell the book, but that you shouldn't go ahead and write the second book of a book that might not sell. So, um, so yeah, so it had an ending, but I always hoped that it would have a sequel. And then, uh, it sold as a standalone. I didn't really discuss the possibility of a sequel with my editor until not that long before Crown was going to be published and a new director came to the imprint and we were chatting. And I, you know, I, I can't remember if she asked me or if I mentioned that I had intended it to have a sequel. And she was sort of like, well, why haven't we bought it? And that was what got the ball rolling. So I sold the rights to the sequel. I pitched, you know, like a one page pitch of what I envisioned. Uh, we sold it a couple months before Crown came out and I had a few months to write it basically. And then, you know, that, because it came out a, a year after Crown did yeah. a little after a year, um, which is typical, but normally you've started working on the second book before the first book comes out. So it was definitely a shortened timeline and I really liked writing duology. I definitely want to do more. Um, Inkyard, my my publisher wanted standalones for me, so that's what I wrote. Um, and I had already written Luminous and uh, Multitude by the time Crown came out. In fact, they both went on submission to other publishers and didn't sell. And then I was able to later sell them to Inkyard. So I didn't think they were ever even gonna see the light yeah. of day. Yeah. yeah and the poison season they wanted it that was I sold that um just sort of on a proposal and they wanted it to be a standalone so that's what I did but hopefully hopefully someone will want another duology from me I definitely want to write more it's really nice to be able to go back to a world that's already created I have to start over completely from scratch yeah. each time. you know those characters well um, and I think it helps for readers. They can sort of build more of like a fandom and a relationship with those characters when they spend a little more time with them. Yeah. And it's definitely nice to be able to see, because with a standalone, you only have so much time to yeah. develop these characters, develop the world. And with a sequel, there's so much more depth that you can bring, I feel like, with both the characters and the world and the magic, especially writing fantasy. So yeah. I I vote I totally vote <laughs> that you write more uh, more series. I'm totally on board with that. With A Multitude of, of Dreams becoming the Barnes & Noble Book Club pick of September, which is very exciting. I also work at Barnes & Noble's, and so I was so excited to hear that news. Uh, you've obviously, you've had some very exciting and important things happen within your publishing career. What has been your number one, this is amazing, 
incredibly memorable moment. Getting the call about Barnes and Noble from my editor and the director of the imprint was definitely one of them. I was not expecting it at all. They told me they wanted to talk, but they had good news to share. So that was definitely a highlight. Probably though, the most memorable thing was getting my my first call from the first literary agent, which happened after the contest I was in, Pitch Wars in 2014. Um, because at that point I'd been writing for 10 years. I was like, you know, maybe this will be my big break or maybe this will just be another thing that doesn't work out. But I had gotten a lot of requests in the competition. And then the person who is actually my agent now, who I did not sign with, but um, he was the first person I talked to after the contest. He called me within a few days. He just called me out of the blue. He didn't set up a time, which is kind of what he does. And it was just a really special day because my younger son was, oh God, he was like six months old, maybe. Um, older son was four. We were doing family pictures that day um, with a photographer that a friend had sort of given me as like a, a, you know, a baby gift. And it was this beautiful fall day in Old Town Alexandria. We'd had just a really lovely time. And then I got this life-changing call completely out of the blue. So it was so exciting and I was just shushing everybody around me because I was trying to hear everything he said and remember everything he was saying. And he was so kind and enthusiastic about my book. And without that moment, like, I don't think I would be here now. So that day will forever be very special to me. And yeah, so he, I ended up getting two more offers, signing with someone else. When that book didn't sell, that agent broke up with me. As, as we say in publishing. And then uh, I ended up querying Crown of Coral and Pearl to to Uva, who is my my agent and has been for six years now. And yeah, and signing with him. So he's the yeah. one who started it all. And, and he's been, he's been um, very loyal, very like a real champion of my work, always loves my writing. And even though everything else in this industry has been kind of crazy, he's always been there. So He's been a constant. That's cool. That yeah. relationship. I feel like that's such a good relationship to have with your agent where it's where they're supportive. I mean, obviously they want you to succeed, but yes. where you can genuinely feel that they appreciate you and they're excited for you. That's got to be pretty. It's got to yeah. be a good feeling. Yes. And he's someone who he's very straightforward. Um, he jokes it's you know because he's German he can be a little blunt not everyone likes that but I really appreciate it with my first agent I always felt like I was walking on eggshells I second guessed everything I wrote in an email and it wasn't anything he did I we just didn't have that level of trust and sort of open communication and with Uva I have always felt like I can tell him exactly what I'm thinking and not be worried that it means that our relationship or working relationship is going to end, um, which is really important to me. He's got a good sense of humor, which is important to me. He reads really fast, which is great. So yeah, so we just work really well together and I'm very grateful for that relationship. So we talked about the most memorable kind of moment of your career. What has been your favorite book to write? Um, I like, I love drafting. So I like writing all of them. Um, writing the Poison Season was the first time I really wrote a book under contract so it was very freeing and that I was like okay whatever I write I know this is going to get published and I knew exactly what my editor wanted and also it was during COVID so that 
made it challenging in some ways because none of us could go anywhere. My kids were being homeschooled, but it also, because no one else was doing anything, it felt like a good time to sort of hunker down and write this kind of isolated story. And it, it just came really easily. It was a really easy book to write. But I have enjoyed writing all of them. It's the revision process and then like the publicity and stuff like that. That's hard for me, but writing is always the best part for me. It's, it's fun to get it out there and put it on a page. Yes. Who has been your favorite character to write and why? I love them all. I really like writing villains. I, Crown ended up being my least edited book, kind of ironically, even though it was my first Um my editor had too much work on her plate and everything was kind of behind. And so I ended up adding a lot, but I didn't really end up taking away a lot. And Saren, I don't know if he would have made it in my other books because um, he's pretty evil. And, <laughs> there, and there is a little bit of tension between him and Nor. And I don't think my publisher or my later editors would have necessarily gone for that. But I just love how sort of, all over the place he is as a character he was really fun to write I did not feel I guess I just didn't maybe I didn't know enough to feel worried that people would hate him and actually a lot of people like him and are mad that he didn't get the story arc they wanted for him yeah but he was just really fun to write and then same with Sage from the Poison Season there's something about writing someone who whose outward actions other people might not understand, but everything is logical in their own head because of their backstory. And so there's something about writing an unlikable character that that is kind of fun to do. Well, and for villains, we always like a good villain. So as a reader, <laughs> as a reader, we appreciate those. We appreciate those <laughs> characters. What what it has been without giving spoilers for people who haven't read your books? Uh, what has been the hardest scene for you to write, whether it was just hard for you to just come up with the words or, you know, the plot or whatever, or whether or not it's because of some kind of emotional connection you had with it, where it was hard to put those words on paper, what's been the most difficult one? One that like stands out in my mind is the scene between Nor and the sort of underwater salamander monster in Crown of Coral and Pearl. I'd never written like a fight scene sort of scene before that point. And I wasn't really sure uh, if I could pull it off, but people have said they really liked that scene. And so even though it was a challenge, I was happy with how it turned out. So I'd say that was just sort of the biggest departure for me. I have a hard time writing anything, I guess, that's like overly sentimental or serious because I never want it to come off as you know too too sweet or not realistic or whatever but but yeah there's nothing else that really stands out to me the like fight scene the monster scene was probably the one that was I was not sure if I could pull it off so well you did a very good job Thanks. Um, <laughs> so you have traveled a lot due to your husband's profession correct Yes. Um, and I know that you just recently went to Norway. And as someone yeah. who's Norwegian, I wanted to ask you, how was your trip to Norway? So our trip to Norway was beautiful. It was not exactly what we expected because there were like torrential rains and flooding while we were there. So we thought we were going to be able to kind of explore more of Norway. We ended up sort of holed in our, up in our little cottage by a lake. 
which ended up being exactly what we needed. But all the roads were flooded, so we couldn't go anywhere. We made it to Oslo for one day, but pretty much we were just in the forest. None of the other people that had their cottages kind of in that area could get to them because the roads were closed. We happened to get there like just in time. So we really had the place to ourselves and my boys could just go down and they didn't care that the water was freezing. They were swimming (laughs) in the rain. Um, Our dog was just running around having so much fun. I just liked walking and picking berries and looking at all the mushrooms. I mean, it was just very like poison season-esque. It was, it was my vibe for sure. I got to read a lot. So it's just really pretty. People were very nice, but I didn't like experience a lot of the food or anything. We were, we were in this kind of rustic cottage that didn't have, the, the oven was not functioning. So we were just sort of cooking what we could on a gas stove and doing our best. And so it was, it was really fun, but I definitely want to go back and see more of it for sure. And Norway has always been a place that I wanted to go to, just like I said, because I am Norwegian and my dad's Norwegian. So one day in the future, I might have to hit you up and say, hey, what do you recommend? Where do you recommend going? Um, specific cottage. In so what specific cottage and lake did you go to? And what <laughs> dates did you go? Just yes. to make sure I don't hit those torrential rainstorms. With yeah. Being a traveler, have you found that your travels and the places you've been to, the places you guys have lived does that influence your work at all in your writing and your themes and the worlds that you create a hundred percent I think it helps so much for writing fantasy and building worlds um the castle in in the mountain in crown and kingdom was based on Pradyama castle in Slovenia which is so cool if you ever get a chance to go um Slovenia also kind of helped inspire uh the poison season because we, we during um covid we were living in serbia we could only go to places we could drive to there was no flying you know at the beginning so we went to slovenia croatia greece a few times and slovenia has like a castle on every hilltop and swans in every pond and it's just like really beautiful and foresty and so that definitely worked its way in the town in Luminous is based on a town in the south of France that I went to when I was younger. So yeah, so all of those things definitely help contribute to my world building. And it's it's really fun. Just little tidbits from different cultures, different foods. Um, yeah, it definitely expands my horizon. And, you know, America has obviously some very beautiful places, but they're not like necessarily like very fantasy world building me the way... Yeah places in Europe can be so yeah it definitely helps what's been your favorite place that you've ever visited we went to Slovenia a lot of times because we really loved it so I would definitely say it's up there um you know I've there have been things I've loved about everywhere we've been I love Spain it's the only language Spanish is kind of the only language I can speak besides English with any kind of fluency so, and the food is amazing the weather's always great so we talk about buying a house there someday who knows where we'll end up but we love Peru. There were parts of Russia that were really cool. So I, there's something in every place that we go that I can appreciate. And I haven't, there's still a lot of places I haven't been yet. So hopefully, hopefully more travel in the future. That sounds amazing. I love traveling. And uh, just to hear you talk about those places, <laughs> it just, it triggers something in me. I'm just like, I, I need to start traveling again. I miss it and I love it. And there's something so special about meeting 
people from different cultures and just immersing yourself in like the day-to-day life. And I'm so jealous. That sounds amazing. (laughs) (laughs) It gets harder and harder to travel. Like flying is so miserable these days. Um, It's expensive, you know, so I'm, I feel very fortunate that we get to do it just sort of by virtue of what my husband does kind of enables us to visit places that we probably would not get to visit if we still lived in America. My kids have seen so much and been to so many places that I certainly didn't get to go as a kid. So we're, we're very lucky that we get, we get to see so much of the world. And yeah. Yeah. When I was growing up, my parents, I was very fortunate to where my parents and us, we traveled a lot when I was Mm -hmm. a kid and it, it's something that's truly special, especially when you're younger to be able to travel with your family. And it's something that you, you will never forget. So I know your boys are going to, even if they don't do it now, which I'm sure they do, they will (laughs) appreciate that. And that's, that's such a special, such a special thing for you guys to do as a family is travel. Okay. So now we're going to transition to rapid fire questions. You can go into as much detail as you want (laughs) and give me as short of an answer as you want. There's just a couple of them. So what is your favorite genre to read? Fantasy. I mean, yeah, I read what I write. write (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I do occasionally dabble in nonfiction or, you know, I'll read, um, I I do read contemporary romance a lot, which I enjoy, or I'll read more book club type fiction, but for the most part, fantasy. Yeah. Do Do you like to read young adult or do you prefer adult fantasy? I read probably mostly young adult. I do read some adult fantasy too, but I think because a lot of my friends are writing young adult fantasy, I'm that's just sort of what I come across. But I also love it. I love the age group. I love the sort of possibility of sort of, you know, that 16 to 18, 19 year old age range. Um, yeah, I just love it. <laughs> okay. If you could write one trope that you haven't written already, what would it be? I really want to write a love triangle, even though I know they're, <laughs> but I like them. I have an unpopular opinion for some people, but I think it would be fun to write one. So yeah. If they're done correctly and they're done right, I mean, they can be really, really good and they can be a very good, they can be a very good trope. I so, think so. <laughs> what are you, what are you currently reading and what is next on your TBR list? So right now, I just started A House with Good Bones by T. Kingfisher, whose books I'm obsessed with right now. Um, I'm also reading, you know, I said I occasionally read nonfiction. I'm reading Entangled Life by Merlin Sheldrake, which is all about fungus. And it was funny because during that call with Lainey Taylor, she happened to mention it. And um, it's, you know, I, I don't know, it's sort of she mentioned it's like the best name for a for an author of all time. It really is. Merlin Sheldrake. His brother's name is like Cosmo or something. Um, they're very eccentric. It's it's a little dry for me because it's a lot of detail about mushrooms and fungus, but there's some really interesting stuff in there. So maybe, maybe even some, you know, fantasy book ideas in there. We'll see. So. Oh, interesting. Okay. Now you got me excited. <laughs> and then uh did you ask what I'm reading next? Yeah, what's next on your TBR list? Um, so next, I have the hardcover of God Killer by Hannah. <laughs> Sorry, my <laughs> son. <laughs> uh, what is her last name? Hannah Kaner, which I just loved the cover. That's why I bought it. But I, I need to get through my hardcover 
TBR. So that's probably what's next. Yeah, I think that's that's going to be the next one. I do have I have a House of Roots and Ruin from Aaron Craig, which I just sort of started, but that's definitely going to be a spooky season read for me. So that one's that one is very very good. I just got done with that one not too long ago, and it it's very good. I love all of Aaron Craig's books, but that one's me. that yeah. one's definitely a, a fall read. Yeah. Uh, not including journalism. If you weren't an author, what do you think you would be doing for work? I mean, this is kind of boring, but realistically, um, there's not that many jobs at embassies for for spouses, but there is one that's like the community liaison person. I did it when we lived in Yekaterinburg, Russia for our very tiny community where I just helped organize events, wrote a newsletter, um, you know, I set up like trick-or-treating for the local staff's kids, which was really fun because they'd never done trick-or-treating before. So that's probably the job at the embassy that I would at least want to do. My favorite thing about this lifestyle, besides the travel, is probably the community that you can be a part of. It's a little harder here in Brussels than it was in, uh, you know, a smaller post, like when we were in Serbia. But I write at the embassy where I did in Serbia a lot. So I got to know everybody and it was just fun getting to know the community, feeling like a part of something because we move so much. It can be really hard to make friends and, you know, for the kids to make friends. So that's probably what I would be doing, which isn't very much fun. So I'm really glad that I'm a writer and that it works with this lifestyle because that's really all I want to do. I was going to say, as you've been talking, that's got to be such a cool thing because being a writer allows you to work and do what you love, but you can still travel and you don't have to change what you're doing, you know, whenever yeah. you guys do have to move. So that's gotta be, that's gotta it's, be really nice. Yes, it is. <laughs> you're like, it's perfect. It's absolutely perfect. Yeah. I mean, there are, you know, there are spouses that will usually just take whatever job they can get at the embassy. There are a few other portable careers. Like if you're a, you know, a home yoga instructor, or if you are, a teacher or a nurse, sometimes you can get a job in the community, but, but it can be really hard. I mean, there are most of the family members that I know, the spouses have advanced degrees. There are doctors, there are lawyers, there are, you know, all kinds of professions. And a lot of those spouses have to give up their career. It's getting better since COVID because there's so many more telework opportunities, but I feel really lucky that I can do what I do and still, you know, support my husband's career so it's been it's been a perfect fit right like it yes. was meant to be yes okay if you could invite someone over for dinner dead or alive who would you invite so I love Barbara Kingsolver she's an author I don't know if you've read any of her books I fell in love with the Poisonwood Bible when I was in college and I've read it three or four times um, her most recent book is Demon Copperhead, which is a David Copperfield retelling. It's amazing. I highly recommend it. And I was very lucky in 2015, um, there was this Iceland Writers Retreat, which is every year uh, put on by a, another foreign service spouse who uh, also works in publishing. She worked at National Geographic, which is where my sister works. Um, and then her good friend, who is now the First Lady of Iceland. She wasn't when they started this retreat. Wow. But Mary too is now president of Iceland. So they put on this amazing retreat every year and they invite a bunch of different authors. And usually there's one or two really big authors. The year I went, it was Barbara Kingsolver. It was amazing. We got to like 
go to these very small workshops, get a lot of, you know, small group attention. I got to have coffee with her. I got to like sit next to her at dinner, get a picture with her on top of a waterfall. It was amazing. She's so full of wisdom. She's, I've also seen her speak at some other things and yeah, I would just, I want like a little tiny Barbara King solver. <laughs> Everything she says is like so wise and kind and she's, she's just amazing. So yes, I definitely want to have her over for dinner or maybe I'll go to her house for dinner. Cause she has this like organic farm and I think she's probably an amazing cook and I am not. So I'll go to her house. <laughs> I I am not oh my gosh that sounds that sounds amazing okay and I think I've seen you said it's demon copperhead right yes I know I've seen that around you have it just all the time yeah it's it's doing quite well for itself so as it should it's amazing yeah oh darn I have to add another book to my list that sounds absolutely terrible yeah things I have to experience (laughs) now if you could invite a fictional character over for dinner who would you invite Okay, I thought about this a lot. It was very challenging for me. First, I was thinking, oh, maybe like Elizabeth Bennett. Then I was like, that's boring. Everybody would say that. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, maybe Howl from Howl's Moving Castle because I love him. And then I was thinking maybe Addie LaRue from The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue because I love that book so much. And she has lived for centuries. So she would have a lot to bring to a conversation so I think that's where I landed but um but yeah <laughs> I don't know I didn't even think about that but that is very very true she has lived for centuries so she would bring she would be an interesting date you get a little yeah. maybe alcohol in her and she would uh-huh. then the stuff that she would spill would be insane and mm-hmm. that's such that's such a beautiful book I love it so much. Such like a comfort read. I want to read it again, maybe during the hall. There's so many books, but I think I need to read it again because I really, really loved it. And I feel like it's gorgeous. And I want a sequel, even though I'm sure that will never happen. But she's got a lot of other books to write, but she's, she has so much going on. Um, Are you, are are you a rereader or do you only read books kind of once and then you move on? I'm generally just a read books once kind of gal. Um, Like I said, I've read the Poisonwood Bible a few different times, partly because I've done it for like various book clubs and stuff. So I've, and it's pretty dense. So I've like needed to reread it. And I've definitely read, you know, Jane Austen books more than once. But other than that, I don't really tend to reread. There's too many books. There's so many. There are. There's too many. I, I, I can't keep up with the new ones that keep coming out. And then because, you know, I was a big reader when I was younger and then, you know, life happens and I got busy and reading kind of went to the wayside. And then when I was in my accident, because I had so much time, I started reading again. And so not only do I have all the new books that mm-hmm. I have to read, but there's so many years that I missed yeah. of books that came out when I wasn't a reader that I have to catch up on now. Yes. There's not enough time. There's not. I saw a little thing on, I think it was Instagram today. And it's like, I want a book about a girl who tries to become a vampire just so she can have an eternity to finish all of her TBR pile. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's what you have to do nowadays because there's so many good ones. And I know. I'm know i a fast reader, but even then I can only read so fast, you know, there's, yeah. just, there's, there's too many good ones. I'm a fast reader, but I really only read at bedtime when I'm tired. So I just don't get as much reading done during the day as I probably should. That's why I'm trying to read all my hardcovers 
because if, if I read on my phone, I'm going to get distracted. Kindle's kind of yeah. for bedtime. So I try to, I try to like always have mm -hmm. a hardcover near me somewhere in the house. So I can, I, I have to avoid buying too many physical copies of books because we move so much yeah. and we have great allowance and, you know, I can only expect for my family to sacrifice. <laughs> You're good. Okay. So last question, what currently brings you joy? I would say the thing that I'm really trying to do is be more present. And when I go for walks, now I, we live with this beautiful forest park right behind our house. I try to take our little dog for a walk, not listen to a podcast, not listen to music, just sort of be present and, and seeing people with their dogs. There's a man who just sits on a bench and plays the accordion, which is <laughs> so cute and ridiculous. There That's are cool. ducks on the little ponds and just looking at all the, you know, the, the trees when they change and the mushrooms and the little flowers in the forest, really trying to sort of be in the moment and appreciate that it brings me joy. It always kind of restores my faith in humanity when I see people out, you know, laying on the grass and reading or having a picnic or looking at the way people all look like their dogs and and there's, you know, there's like these really cute old couples going for walks together. And it sort of just restores my faith in humanity when I do that. So that's, that's bringing me joy right now. That's beautiful. I like that. Okay. So I have to ask is it's Mishka, right? Is your puppy yes. dog? Okay. What yes. kind of dog is Mishka? Mishka is a miniature poodle. She's right here. She's always right next to me. Oh, she's been a good girl. But she's very quiet unless someone comes to the door. But she, she's here with me. She's my little writing buddy. My little teddy bear. She's yes. adorable. She does look like a stuffed animal and she's absolutely adorable. <laughs> yes. Oh my goodness. I'm a huge dog lover. I'm a huge animal lover, but dogs, they hold a special place in my heart. And so, oh my goodness. Oh, <laughs> girl. Oh, you are so cute. How old is she? She just turned five, but she always is going to look like a baby, which I love. She's like the size of a baby. She's so sweet. She snuggles with us at bedtime. She just, she brings us all a lot of joy. I didn't want a dog for a long time. We had one before the foreign service and it was, she died a pretty bad death and it really traumatized me. And for a long time, I was like, I don't know if I can do it. Plus all the moving, but then my kids really wanted a dog. And I was like, okay, if it's small enough to go on the airplane with us, we can get a little dog. And it's been like the best decision we've made because she makes us all so happy. So it's just a good baby. Oh my goodness. She's so freaking cute. And it's, <laughs> it's amazing how much joy they can truly bring. Yes. It's my dogs. They, they're, they're my babies. I love my dogs because I don't have children right now. And I just, I keep seeing this thing again on Instagram where <laughs> it's like, I would you know, I would give up five years or 10 years of my life to have, you know, an extra year with my dog, but she would give me up for, you know, a thing of peanut butter. Like, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's, that's pretty accurate with my dogs. Like, I just, I love them to death. And oh my goodness, she's so cute. Look at her snuggle. I know. Okay. It's just, she's very special. I feel very lucky that we got the perfect dog for us. She's so low maintenance and she just sits next to me while I write. And yeah. She's, she's good for everyone's anxiety. We all have a lot of it. So yeah. Oh okay. Oh my goodness. Okay. I got to stop gushing or I'll be on here all day talking about, talking about her. She's freaking adorable. Okay. Well, thank you so, so much for coming on, Nora. You honestly, you have no idea how much I appreciate it. 
it was wonderful to finally meet you after, like I said, being a fan for so long. And, you know, I know we've chatted through Instagram and Discord and stuff for the street team, but it was just, I'm fangirling. So it was absolutely wonderful to meet you. Thank you so, so much for being on here. Of course. Thank you so much for having me, for supporting me, for being on in the Rutherford realm. I love you guys. And I'm just, I'm just a very lucky person. Very lucky to have you. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I hope you have a wonderful day. Thank you. Well, that is it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. And before I sign off, I would just like to say from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to tune in. This has been a dream of mine for a long time, and I am absolutely honored to have you here. If you want to stay up to date on episodes and announcements, please subscribe or follow me at The Real Bookish Writer or at The Well-Read Podcast on Instagram. Thank you again for listening and have a magical day. See you next week. Thank you.